like magic. How's it going? Very well, very well, Eric. How are you? Excellent. I'm fantastic. Um, thank you for you know coming on and doing this with me. Um, like we were just talking about, I think the last time we spoke, uh, we had uh, what, what I remember is a, a pretty lengthy phone conversation. And you know, I don't like to talk on the phone for a long time usually, so that must have mean it was a good thing because I remember that we were we were on for a little bit. So you know, that's a uh, that's usually well, a good you were thing. kind enough to you were kind enough to spend uh, yeah a fair amount of time with me, mm-hmm. and um, I really appreciate that because I I learned so much talking to the people who've been committed to uh, child safety and and drowning in particular, and uh, very educational. So I appreciate your time. And you also go to the NDPA conferences too, right? Jeremy? Oh, uh, could you repeat that question? Yeah, no problem. May have uh, a little bit and, of uh, internet yeah. latency. Yeah, and you, you also go to the NDPA conferences as well, right? Yes. Yeah, I've been to uh, t- the last two years and uh, found that to be, you know, a place to meet some wonderful people. Very committed group, very passionate group. And the, the, the mission is, uh, is one of the most important things going out there. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot out of NDPA. I, I encourage anybody who might be uh, listening to this to get involved with NDPA. Terrific organization. They're growing and uh, maturing and developing plans and capabilities that I think will really bring them forward significantly in the next year or two. Yeah, I served on the board for a couple of years and then um, as the vice president for about a little over a year. And yeah, they do tremendous work, you know, just just a great organization. And I was really upset that I missed the conference in Pittsburgh that you went to, uh, both for the conference itself and also for the really cool hotel they had there, um, that what a what an amazing spot that they had that Pittsburgh conference in. Yeah, that was a that was a really cool one. One of the great things was uh, we had use of the pool on the on the roof and uh, had a session out by the pool for various vendors that that uh, you know had technology or, or technology products, safety products in particular. And uh, uh, that was a great event, beautiful morning. Only problem was it's near the hospital and, uh, and some helicopters kept coming in. We were streaming it live on Facebook and I know that it was fine for us on the roof, but I think those helicopters interfered with uh, the ability at certain points to hear what was going on on the live stream. but. Uh, it was overall a terrific event. Three, I think three full days I was there and uh, just uh, jam-packed with information and, and also a unique opportunity to, to meet the community that's, that's really passionate and doing something and, and getting involved in, in uh, reducing the rate of, of drowning and the associated death and injury from drowning. So um, it's a great group to get involved in. So were you able to join the technology panel? I was, yeah, last couple of years. Very cool. And uh, it's also, 
you know, I mean, I think it's kind of unique. Uh, you know, it's sort of a trade show. I mean, vendors, you know, get a table and we're able to talk to people and show our products. And and that is kind of trade showy. But um, it's, it's so much more than that. And uh, it was it was a it's a great experience for because we get to meet the other vendors and, you know, some of them are competitors, some of them are, you know, not really competitors, but, uh, it's a very collegial group. I mean, every you know, there's not this feeling of, of competing with each other. There's this feeling that we're all in this together and this could be a great market, a big market, a market which you can do well financially in. But most of all, uh, I think there's a passion and a commitment on the part of uh, practically everybody who comes there to, um, you know, to be involved, to, to push technology forward so that in the future, technology can play a role, an important role, and, and hopefully drive a, a period of time where technology can really help reduce uh, the rate of drowning. Yeah, you're right. You know, there is this kind of, you know, brotherhood of sorts in the water safety arena where, you know, the, the competition side doesn't seem to be as brutal as it can be in other industries. You know, and I think, you know, part of that has to do with the, you know, the, the layers of protection concept, you know, that we all know yeah. that each layer of protection is a different add on. And when my when my dad coined that term back in 1987, uh, when he first used the phrase layers of protection and then wrote it down in 1989 in a book, um, which is the first time it was ever used in writing. The reason he did it was was just that reason for competition. You know, he was, you know, at a meeting at the Consumer Product Safety Commission where, you know, the swimming instructors were saying that, you know, swim lessons were the best way to go. And the alarm people were saying, no, alarms were the solution. And he was saying pool fence and, you know, everybody was you know, trying to say that their method was the silver bullet to, you know, prevent drownings. And because he didn't want to compete with alarms and lessons and supervision for that matter, you know, he said, no, you need, you need them all. You need layers of protection. Um, and it was as much of an educational thing as it was a competition, you know, marketing thing. And, you know, it's, uh, it's turned out pretty good. I think everybody uses that, that phrase and definitely the ideology now. So it's, uh, you know, it's been really beneficial. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a term that I think can be embraced by so-called professional or somebody with, with decades of experience in, in aquatic risk management. They know what that means and, and they can drive recommendations and, and drive their expertise and the delivery of their expertise uh, with that basic concept as a foundation. So it's a professional term, but it's also a term that the layman or the, the the person that you're talking to about this that may not, you know, be as focused as you are on drowning and, and what a big problem it is. They, you know, it's a very intuitive, common sense term. So people get it and it doesn't take a whole lot of explanation to say, you know, this is the framework that we use and get, you know, complicated with delivering the message. It's layers of safety. People understand that. And then you can get right in to talk about those. And um, it's often, 
it's not unusual for when I'm talking to somebody or having a conversation, you know, they'll ask me, well, you know, do you, so you're replacing lifeguards or you're replacing, you know, life jackets or PDS. We no longer And I say, no, no, every single layer of safety is important and we're not eliminating anything. Our, our task, our goal, our mission is to establish a new layer of safety, an additional layer of safety, and hopefully dovetails, you know, very, very closely to current best practices and does not interfere, in fact, reinforces and supports the other layers of safety that are in place. So, you know, to give people some context, um, explain for everybody, you know, what it is your technology does and, you know, why it's new for, for water safety. Okay. Yeah, our company is called Sentag, S-E-N-T-A-G, and this uh, this technology was developed in Sweden, uh, and uh, that took about uh, two years in development. Uh, well over a million dollars been spent on developing the product. Uh, there have been two new releases that were successfully released and and adopted. Uh, at this time, uh, it, it's still very much a, an early stage company, uh, both in Europe and in North America. We are an independent company in North America, or, or Centag USA, as we call ourselves. And um, we uh, source our product from the manufacturer in Sweden. So it's a, um, it's a very cool relationship. It's a pleasure dealing with the Swedes. They're developing their side of the, of the business opportunity uh, very well. And we're a little bit behind them. You know, they started, you know, a couple years ahead of us. But uh, uh, it, it's, it's starting to really build momentum here in the U.S. What the technology is, is based on a wristband. So a wristband is uh, put on the swimmer. The swimmer puts a wristband on. And in that wristband is a depth and time setting. So we have a depth sensor and a clock and a battery and the ability to send a, a signal from that wristband. That's uh, basically sonar technology. There's a, a, a signal with a specific acoustic signature. And then uh, that gets forwarded from the pool to a controller where we have some fairly sophisticated software that does signal processing software to, re, to, to pick that signature out of a uh, extremely noisy environment, uh, which is every, every vibration basically uh, entering the pool. And it's pretty, it's pretty noisy. If you just put a pair of headphones on, you hear loud, loud static, basically. And every now and then a sharp noise if somebody you know, puts a chair down hard on the deck of the pool. The hydrophones are extremely sensitive, so you can sometimes even hear a truck rumbling by, you know, a quarter mile away. Wow. And um, so uh, the job of the, of the controller and the signal processing software is to pick that signal from the wristband out of that background noise. Then we have a routine that reconfirms that it's the actual signal and we get uh, confirmation that it's a positive. And then we issue an alarm. And when we issue the alarm, that can be delivered in many, many different ways. Uh, 
uh, typically there's a, a choice to have a siren or a strobe at, at poolside. Uh, you, we can interface to handheld radios. We can send real-time texts so that uh, the, the, light, if the lifeguards in the, in the uh, facility can be notified by radio or they'll be at poolside and, and see or hear an alarm. But we can also send real-time texts to uh, other members of the staff. We can interface to the entire handheld radio system and, and a larger security uh, infrastructure. And, um, you know, the general manager or management or, 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 you know, other individuals as appropriate can receive a real-time text that an alarm is happening in pool number two or, or what have you. So um, that's basically uh, the system in a nutshell. A wristband-based, uh, when the swimmer goes below the setting in the wristband, a countdown starts. So we typically recommend a, a setting in the wristband of about 30 inches for about 30 seconds. And that's uh, intended to back up essentially the 10-20 standard so that uh, if the lifeguards are standing and they see an event and they, they perform to that 10-20 standard that they're trained to, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get to that swimmer and get their, you know, airway uh, clear and uh, the alarm may not even go off in that kind of uh, event. If, however, the lifeguards, for whatever reason, miss the event uh, and the swimmer goes below 32 seconds, a countdown starts at the time they pass through the plane. And uh, if they stay below that setting for, say, 30 seconds, in this, the alarm is issued. So it, um, it, it, it conforms or dovetails to current best practice, but it's uh, still fast enough or quick enough um, to alert a lifeguard or staff that something is happening that they need to be aware of and uh, get to that victim and, and perform a, a successful rescue. So the question is, you know, 30 seconds doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of people, but so, so real quick, I don't think that's really very controversial for the aquatic community. For, for anyone who doesn't know, what is the 10-20 uh, rule for lifeguards? Well, that's a, uh, an expectation, I guess you'd call it, or a training uh, goal mm -hmm. to uh, get a team to perform so that essentially, uh, on a theoretical basis, 100% of drowning events are identified within 10 seconds, and the victim is reached and the rescue commences within 20 seconds. And if you do that, you can, you know, get, as we all know in the profession, you can get people to the side of the pool, you can do an extraction, and the chances are that that, that, that uh, uh, rescue will be very, very successful to the point where, you know, if you get to them, you know, get them out of the pool within 45 seconds or so, you know, you can expect pretty good results. Um, well, we all know that seconds count. So if it goes to a minute, minute and a half, two minutes, now you know you're you're in danger of uh, some some permanent injury. And of course, you know, depending on the blood pass and the weight and all kinds of factors, within you know four or five minutes, it's uh, it's usually uh, fatal. So uh, seconds count. So. 
you know, if I'm an observer and I'm a layperson and I'm watching this in use, you know, what will I see? I'll see someone put on a wristband, you know, I'll see them enter the water, be underwater for X amount of time, and then an alarm go off, right? Yes. And the, the, if going a little bit deeper on, on what we've done and why, um, the, the setting of 32 inches, uh, I'm about 5'10", you know, average height, so 32 inches comes just below my knee. Uh, and so I can have the wristband on my wrist, my hands down by my side. I can be stroke, you know, doing laps in the pool. I can go off a diving board, go down 12 feet, touch the bottom, come back up. And all, and the alarm will, won't go off under those conditions. So you can play in the pool, you can work out in the pool, you can do what you normally do in the pool, uh, with the exception of extended breath hold. And of course, we know that uh, over the past several years, uh, the dangers of extended breath holding have become well documented. Right. So, practically all the pools I talk to now, certainly most every lifeguard lifeguarded pool that I come across today, and in most commercial or public pools, uh, ban extended breath holding. So. Um, one question we get is, yeah, well, if that, you know, 14, 15 year old boy who likes to challenge, you know, everything um, decides they're going to game the system and go down, you know, a lot of people can hold their breath for more than 30 seconds on the bottom of the pool. And that's very true. But actually, if that's happening, that individual is, uh, you know, breaking a pretty important safety uh, rule. And it gives you an opportunity to, to have a serious conversation, you know, with, with that individual, but other individuals that are that are present about uh, breath holding at that point. So I guess if somebody wants to gain some in that way, you know, it might be it, it is possible. Uh, but uh, we also believe that that's you know, very much in line with the current best practice, which is to discourage or outright. Uh, ban extended breath holding. So well, plus, uh, I mean, if, if somebody that, knows that their extended breath holding is going to set off an alarm that is going to stop the pool and go off and screech, um, you know, just like you're not going to open the the fire door at the back of a theater because you know it's going to set off the fire alarm. Um, you know, I think embarrassment and uh, you know shame will probably keep you from from doing that, you know, especially if you're aware that that's the result, you know. Yeah. And so hopefully one strong conversation would, would put an end to that kind of behavior. But, um, but, uh, you know, I, I like the way, the, the way you, you thought about that, you know, this is, this is similar to a, a fire alarm. This is a safety thing. Now in most buildings, certainly, large buildings, commercial buildings, office buildings, hotels, et cetera. You know, there's, there's a, uh, a fire alarm system that is extensively uh, installed, tested, kept up to, to standards in the entire building. We very rarely hear the fire alarm go off, right? You know, usually it's a test. Uh, right. Usually we say, okay, we have a test schedule for our fire alarm. You know, and, and uh, you know, we're going to be doing that at 9 a.m. on Thursday or what have you. But, um, uh, you know, 
breaking that box or pulling that lever without cause is a, is taken extremely seriously. And uh, we, I think, you know, need to get to that same view of all the layers of safety in, a, in aquatics. And, you know, I, I, lifeguards are challenged in that way because they're expected to be, you know, uh, they're, they're expected to serve the guests in some fashion. And that, I'm sure, is a huge spectrum from pool to pool. But um, uh, they're, by serving guests, uh, you know, they, they, you can't forget that they're responsible for the lives that are in that pool. And uh, to uh, mess around or to gain, you know, the layers of safety that, that they're using along with their own vigilance and their own training to keep patrons safe or guests safe, is you know not acceptable. So um, uh, I, I like your reference to a to a fire alarm or a smoke alarm or seatbelts. Same thing with seatbelts. You know we don't mess around with our seatbelts. We put them on when we get in the car. We rarely need them. Hopefully we never need them. Most of us will never be in a car where where an airbag goes off. But if it does go off, you know we certainly uh, value the protection that both seatbelts and airbags and the combination of them together can, can, can bring to that incident. And those are really an example of layers of safety. The seatbelt and the airbag work together uh, as two different technologies but complementary technologies. So um, you've been talking about this in conjunction with the lifeguard. Is there a residential application or is it only for you know, commercial public pools? Well, we developed really with the lifeguard pool in mind. We've had a lot of inquiry and conversations with uh, members of the hospitality industry. Of course, I think in general, that industry is kind of going through a conversation about, you know, uh, what uh, are we are we still comfortable with just putting signage up saying, you know, at your own risk, there's no lifeguard in this pool. Right. Uh, so that's a potent that's a potential direction where we could be, you know, very very useful. Um, and there and that's actually, uh, you know, one of the vertical markets that we're focused on is hospitality. The other being aquatic risk management, or you know, another way of saying lifeguard pools. So um, uh, did that answer the question? So I was asking about residential pools. Oh, oh, yeah, that, that's right. I'm sorry. Um, we've had quite a bit of um, we've had quite a bit of inquiry from very high end pool building. You know, a pool design, a, a residential pool going in for a million dollars with a beautiful, you know, pool house and extensive landscaping, et cetera, et cetera. We've gotten a lot of inquiries at that level. But uh, we're a company, and one of the things I've learned in my technology industry is when you're at this point in time, focus is everything. To try to respond to the different, uh, you know, uh, calls that are coming into you and get distracted and get pulled into a, a, an area that, you know, you're not really primarily focused on. And in, and in my experience, that's generally a mistake. So our focus was in development to back up the lifeguard. And that's what we're focusing on. 
not that somebody couldn't, you know, build a compelling enough case with me so that I would put it in their, their residence. And there is actually a really cool model because uh, uh, one thing that uh, I haven't mentioned, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring it into the conversation, is our wristband is uh, enabled with what's called RFID technology, radio frequency identification. And uh, what that allows us to do is to use the wristband in a smart lock situation. So if you have a sliding glass door or French doors that opened out into a pool area, you uh, could enable those doors with smart locks so that you had to have a wristband on to go through those doors. And that ensures that the wristband is in place when somebody walks into the pool enclosure. Uh, so th that model, uh, which, which we have deployed in several sites in Europe, where the guests at a, uh, at a private aquatic facility can actually come in the front door, they can check in the locker, they can open the locker room, they can access their locker, and then they can access the pool with the wristband utilizing RFID and smart locks. But, and that would, that would be a pretty, pretty cool, uh, technology to put in a residence but um so yeah, far I mean, we've declined that, that even, from doing that. that that would even be cool on a uh, like a cruise ship you know yes and and that's actually a huge uh, wave of adoption happening currently all through hospitality and it's start you know disney has their magic band all the cruise lines now have an rfid medallion they put it in in a and bracelets or amulets, you know, around the neck. Um, and uh, I think it'd be absolutely ideal uh, on, in a cruise ship environment. But, um, but that... Uh, what is your risk frankly, look like? Frankly, I think our price, our price points, we need to come down a bit. Uh, and the, the overall adoption of RFID, that's really a, a very large wave right now is driving down the price of RFID technology quarter by quarter. It's really dropping quickly now. You know, they're, they're kind of halfway up the bell curve of the adoption cycle. And typically that, that uh, prediction would be uh, at that point in the, in the adoption cycle, that cost would drop because you're getting mass adoption and that's putting the units manufactured, you know, up every quarter. And that drives down overall unit costs. So um, we really need to get to that point in, uh, in technology for pools. Uh, we're not at the adoption you know, uh, side of that uh, curve. We're really uh, pre-adoption. So right now there's a lot of interest. I've seen a tremendous uh, 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 swelling of interest and awareness over the past year. And I think people are in the, in the community to say to themselves, you know, I've heard about technology now from half a different source, half a dozen different sources. Maybe I better start to learn something about it. Maybe this is in the future. And, and what does it mean to me and, and my pool and my facility? So that's the first step. Uh, out of that group, certain people raise their hands and be, you know, early, early adopters, as they're called. And uh, uh, out of that experience will come data, uh, experiential uh, 
uh, stories or or um, or conversations, and uh, that will in turn feed the interest of the next buying uh, mentality, and then you're on your way to mass adoption. And so when that that cycle plays itself out, um, the uh, unit price of the of all. Our, our, our software and hardware, but also all of our competitors, will come down. Uh, some, some competitors will, will fold, others will thrive. There'll be new entries to the market that we haven't even heard of today. And, uh, and, and that kind of churn or that kind of adoption cycle will, uh, will bring prices down and, and drive you know, further adoption. So one, uh, we really want to go through that phase, focused on commercial, uh, lifeguard pools, and hospitality as a second vertical market, and uh, and and at that point, I think we'll be prepared to uh, do a little bit, and and we do need to do some R and D spending to get to the residential price point and a system that. Uh, can be delivered and you know installed in the pool, you know for a very reasonable price. So um, that, that, I'd love to do residential. There's 12 million of those pools. Right? There's about 600,000 target pools in our two vertical markets. There's 12 million residential. So uh, a good solution for residential is is a is a home run. And you know we hope to get there with our technology. There's a good possibility somebody will come forward with a low price point that's not necessarily appropriate for commercial pools, but is a good, solid step forward in residential. And I think that's a winning niche that's open right now. So what does the wristband actually look like? Uh, well, if you don't mind me standing up for a second, I'll go get one. I should have had one yeah. here with me to show you. Yeah, please. Yeah, go okay. for it. Be right back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to see it because I've seen I've seen a few different wristband technologies. You know, my um, my good friend Bob Lyons is the inventor of Safety Turtle, and his looks like a turtle. Okay, I'm back. There you go. So here is a here is a wristband. All right. So this is surgical tubing. This, uh, these ports in the back give it access to pressure in the pool. And uh, this is the top. So I need a bigger one for my fat wrists here. So this is, uh, this is the wristband on my wrist. You know, very comfortable, bulletproof, solid as a rock. I think there's probably some aesthetic improvements we could make on this, <laughs> but it's uh, extremely functional, simple, ABS plastic and surgical tubing, you know, almost indestructible. Um, and that's what the wristband looks like. This little tag on the top where it says send tag, that's an RFID chip. So um, if you've got an RFID infrastructure, we just get the spec number of your chip that you've chosen to use and then order those chips and, and put them right on the wristband. So that is also very simple. Uh, the same wristband that, that does not have RFID 
can be RFD-enabled, you know, very, very straightforwardly. Uh, so, these so wristbands I, are hermetically sealed at the factory. Oh, wow. So there's no need to charge a battery. And the only battery power we use is a couple of, mill of you know, microvolts when the two chips are, are used for depth and time. And then if an alarm needs to be issued, uh, the battery has to sufficiently power the, uh, the alarm signal. Uh, but when you think about it, it's, you know, the alarm signal is not something that happens every day. Sure. So uh, it happens infrequently or very infrequently for an individual wristband. You might have four or 500 wristbands in the pool at any one time. And our system is just listening for one wristband going off. So, uh, and that's a data point to, to the signal lifeguard saying, uh, it doesn't even really absolutely say that somebody's drowning. What the data point is, somebody in your pool or a, a wristband in your pool is beyond the safety settings that the management of the pool has determined are appropriate. And uh, at, if you have your eyes on that individual, if you know exactly what's happening, great, you're in control. If you don't and the alarm goes off, it's time to figure out in the next four or five seconds, you know, what to do, where to go. So um, it, it really, the lifeguards do exactly what they're trained to do. We don't change their protocols or change, or change the way they're trained. Uh, what we do is we add the alarm uh, kind of on as the last layer of safety so that if they do, for whatever reason, miss something, you know, this will alert them that there's a situation in the pool that they need to attend to. And uh, and so the, the it, you know, it's what the insurance companies call a, a low frequency but catastrophic event, uh, like an automobile accident. doesn't happen often, but when it happens, uh, you know, it's, it's important data delivered to the security staff. So um, I think we talked last time. And I mentioned my very good friend, Bob Lyons, uh, Dr. Lyons, he invented the safety turtle, which is another wristband system. Um, and in that system, the, the child, uh, normally under five, usually small children, wears this wristband, it looks like a turtle on top. And if it gets wet at all, um, it sends a radio frequency to a base station, base station alarms. Um, that wristband has a, it's key lockable because it's, you know, for little children and they don't want kids taking the wristband off. Um, but I think your system is more voluntary and you know, probably for a slightly older demographic too. So do you have any plans to, to add like a, a locking feature to it for, for little kids or is that really not the market you're going for anyways? Well, there's, there's, there's lots of demand for GPS tracking. And what that would allow you to do is, is really identify where that individual wristband that you're focused on is in a facility map. Mm -hmm. When they're out of the water, when they're in the water, you know, you would you would know that as well. You would say, OK, they're in the water. They have the wristband on. Right. You know, uh, that's good. Or nope, they're over at the, the gift shop, you know, buying T-shirts or or they're in the, the canteen getting, you know, an ice cream cone. So that, there's a lot of demand for that. We've heard that request. And, you know, we're looking into that. Um but the point that you brought up about uh, children is an important one. 
because uh, actually uh, drowning rates with children, unfortunately, are, are fairly flat. But there's some indications statistically that we're almost at the verge where we're going to be able to identify a decline in drowning in, you know, the one to four uh, and maybe say, you know, four to six or seven or eight in that, in that age group. Uh, because of all the attention that the U.S. Swimming Foundation and, and many of the, the organizations that have joined the of NDPA and, and lots of organizations across the country that support uh, swim lessons for young children. And that absolutely is, you know, the best thing that you can do. Uh, we support that, obviously, a thousand percent. But uh, we're starting to see an uptick in drowning events in the senior population. And the reason I think is pretty straightforward, as you, if, you, if you're a health uh, conscious person, you like to get your exercise, uh, and you've been out, you know, doing a couple of miles in the morning, you know, three times a week for the last 30 years. Uh, all of a sudden, your knees and your hips and, and other parts are, are not what they used to be when you get into your 60s. And so um, the huge baby boom demographic that's now entering uh, or is in their 60s is uh, starting uh, in a very significant pattern to kind of go away from impact exercise and, and seek out low impact exercise. Yoga is a good example, huge boom in popularity. Uh, and swimming is, is a natural place to go for that. Uh, you know, get because of, you know you can get a great workout. Uh, it actually surprises most people that don't work out swimming. They you know they think oh this is you know it's not like running, and yet you know you put them in there and say okay you know do 200 250 yards you know at a pretty good clip you know and see how you feel you know they're they're surprised by you know what a rigorous workout it is. So. Um, it's gaining in popularity. You know, the, there's access to pools uh, in our country, thankfully, all over the place in most cities. Uh, most uh, areas have a Y or a high school or a municipal pool or, or somewhere where they can get regular swimming exercise. And that's becoming more and more popular. Unfortunately, you know, the, the flip side of that is uh, that there's more drownings taking place in that demographic. Uh, and many of those are caused by slight or not slight, substantial medical events in the pool in that senior fainting, uh, you know, slight stroke, heart attack, even arrhythmia, you know, that, that kind of scares you a little bit and cause heart and breath involuntarily. And if you're underwater or your mouth is underwater at that point, you know, you can get into trouble quickly. So, um, so we, uh, we really encourage our wristband for all patrons of a facility because anyone can drown. Even very good swimmers from time to time, you know, have, have a problem. And, uh, uh, but it's up to the pool management. Certainly, uh, we encourage a, a protocol that identifies the swimming ability of each swimmer. And, you know, you might have a, a blue wristband for one level of, of swimming ability and the yellow one for another. They might have two different settings. 
This might be for a child that really shouldn't go past the three foot mark or even the two foot mark. Uh, and then this one, you know, could be for an adult that is going to be swimming laps or uh, uh, something like that. So we do encourage everyone, uh, but certainly uh, in the senior population and in the and in the population of 15 and under, uh, statistically, those populations are at the greatest risk. So um, I asked about the the strap being key lockable for small children, or maybe even, you know, in, in nursing homes, patients with Alzheimer's and dementia. Is that um, something you guys are looking into in the future? Uh, yes, we do have uh, we do have a couple of uh, times on the drawing board for the next generation wristband. Um, this, uh, we've actually shown those to some current clients. There's 17 sites for this system up and running and live in Europe. And so we, we showed, you know, our, our prototype, which is a, a nicely designed, uh, band has a buckle that is designed to not necessarily need a key, but it's designed to go on and, and, you know, uh, stay there. Like a watch, uh, more secure than your normal watch buckle, and uh, the actual actually the users uh, currently the guests in the pool that actually you know use this every time they go in the pool, many of them really prefer the the simple plastic one with surgical tubing because there is no buckle, and the surgical tubing can be sized you know in an infinite number of ways. You don't you know it's just you just say how long you want the surgical tubing on the next run of these hundred wristbands and you get whatever sizes you want. So you can see we have, we have the ability to be pretty wide in our, our sizes. This is a small one. That's a much bigger one. And, uh, the patrons using these currently, uh, don't, they haven't really, you know, voted down the new prototype, but, they say, no, you know, we kind of like what you have right now. It's it's you, it, it's not flashy, but it works, and it's comfortable, and it's bulletproof. And uh, it doesn't require you stopping to buckle it on your wrist, which could be a pretty substantial advantage with young children. Right, uh, absolutely. Young children. So, and, and it also makes it uh, impossible for it to just fall off in the water. And it makes it, uh, I think, more difficult to remove while you're swimming. So if for whatever reason, you know, you did want to take this off and drop it to the bottom, you know, and be a, be a pest in that way, you know, it's less likely with, with this than something with a buckle. And that's just a personal kind of point of view. But um, it's interesting that what we thought was our, you know, to market, test the technology, let's keep it simple and bulletproof. And this is what we ended up with, tends to actually have you know, some attraction to a lot of people over something that's, you know, beautifully designed, looks like an Apple smartwatch and and that kind of thing. So, um, so, so, you know, um, technology I, never stops. So. Yeah. So if I'm a, a YMCA or a commercial pool or, a, you know, even a hotel that, with a lifeguard, and I want to get in on testing one of these things. Um, you know, how do I how do I do that? How do you get in touch with us, or how do you actually implement it in your facility? 
uh, both. So yeah, say I want to, you know, get one of these. How, what do I do? Yeah. Well, you, you'd give us a call. Um, uh, you know, Sentag uh, USA. I, I have, uh, I, I do most of my social media networking and that kind of thing on LinkedIn. I find it to be a good vehicle. I find the focus on the business networking to, you know, to, to me to be uh, attractive as opposed to, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, and some of the others. Now, you need to be doing that and you need to you know, be a citizen of the world. Today. You're going to, you know, be using that, uh, that technology. But uh, LinkedIn, is, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. And uh, what I'll do is uh, I'll, I'll post this and, uh, you know, give an email address and, and a phone number, which are easy to find on my LinkedIn profile. But essentially, if you get in touch with us, uh, you know, we like to have conversations. We like to understand your motivations, talk a little bit about your facility. You know, just a quick bird's eye view of the pool is helpful discussion. And that can be hand drawn and scanned and sent on. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, architectural drawings. We can start with, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a semi accurate hand drawing of the pool. And what we'll do is we'll talk through together, you know, what your current environment is and, and you know, what your future state might be uh, with installing Sentai. One of the one of the areas uh, that we've developed is an approach we call SIPS, S-I-P-S, Sentai Integrated Pool Safety, because we are passionate about integrating our technology to the other appropriate layers of safety that are either existing or we believe it's a great opportunity if you're looking at our system to actually do a risk management assessment and maybe add a kiosk for PDFs because let's say you're not testing for swimming ability now and in this conversation we say, okay, there's a lot of advantages in testing for uh, swimming ability. Well, once you take that step, then that also allows you to say, okay, if you can't swim, if you're a complete non-swimmer, if you're a toddler, if you're, you know, if you meet these criteria, we're going to ask you to wear a PDF as well as put the wristband on. Because uh, again, both of them working together will, will be more effective than either one by itself. So um, that's... That really is most of the conversation is how am I going to do this in my environment uh, rather than, you know, what what is the software doing? You know, we do get some people that are very technically oriented, uh, that kind of, you know, geek out with all the technology and, and love to get under the covers. But really, uh, the technology is proven uh, it's in place in Europe. It's working well. And we have. You know, everything from uh, Mandarin Oriental Hotel in London to uh, water park in, uh, in Belarus. That's the third largest water park in Europe and uh, private clubs, um, uh, et cetera. So a, a real good mix of different client types. Uh, so it is proven. So to me, and, and of course, you know, we need to communicate that to the client to an extent sufficient so that they they agree with me, right? They're not going to buy it without, you know, some some demonstration, you know, and some explanation and, and checking to make sure that those statements are true. But uh, but once we get past that, let's assume it works. The real conversation is about protocols. 
you know, about how it's how you're going to distribute the wristband, how you're going to collect the wristband. And those should all fit with an overall pool plan and set of protocols that make sense. So uh, we call this process, you know, SIPS or the Centag Integrated Pool Safety. And that's a kind of a, a virtual light risk management uh, review. And if you have, you know, fully developed risk management plans, if you've hired somebody to come in and do some audits or make recommendations, all that data is good input to that conversation about, you know, what is this going to mean for your operation? Uh, because it's got to work smoothly in order to in order to be as effective as possible. And, you know, it's the kind of technology that also requires some updating and training over time. So that's part of the conversation as well. How are your lifeguards really going to absorb the use of this? Uh, and what does it change in their in-service training? Uh, so uh, those are the, the real kind of granular discussions that, that need to take place in order to determine you know, how this is going to work and what your total cost of ownership is over you know, four or five year uh, uh, depreciation or amortization schedule. So, you know, I think technology like yours is is the future. You know, I think, you know, um, all the things that are coming out, the wristbands, the, you know, the drones with cameras on them, you know, these detecting, you know, all these detection technologies. I think, you know, this is going to be the future of water safety. And I think you're really on the, you know, the cutting edge of it. So, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on and explaining it to us. Um, CentagUSA.com is your website, right? Sorry, Eric, you, you broke up there for a second. Your website is CentagUSA.com, is that right? Yes, uh, C-N-T-A-G, and then USA. So one word, CentagUSA. Everybody reads it and says Centagusa. Centagusa. <laughs> it's CentagUSA. Dot com. Beautiful. And, uh, All right. So and, folks can, can uh, find you there. My, yeah. my name is Jamie Getch. Uh, the spelling is a little weird. It's G-O-E-T-S-C-H. Uh, bad news, it's a little weird name. The good news is once you learn how to spell it, you never forget. And I, there's not a whole lot of us out there on LinkedIn. So <laughs> if, you, uh, if you get another Jamie Getch, it's probably this guy in California that I bumped into two or three times. He, Nice. Uh, he's got the same name, but it's not a common one. So, not, not at all. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate it. And you know, I wish you all the luck with your you know, company and with the development of your technology. It's exciting stuff. And, uh, you know, Richard Kaufman said in the comments that it's, uh, you know, a real game changer. He said he's seen it in person and it's really impressive. So, you know, I think uh, I think we can expect big things and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see them. Well, Eric, thank you very much for the opportunity uh, to spread the word. And I hope to see you soon at NDPA. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, everybody. You guys have a great day.